This is kind of a, a little bit of a treat in a, in a sense, but we're going to be going to Daniel 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 28, and we're going to look at a very incredible story, and I'll tell you why. So let's go look in, looking at that, and once again, we're in our summer sessions of Sunday school class, so we're going to be going around the Bible, doing some different things. There are some more videos coming up. We're going to have some more question and answer sessions, and maybe a couple of... Um, videos that are from the, the International Council of Christian Churches meeting that was last week. There were some very interesting uh, messages there also. But this week we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3, so let's go there. And then we will be back in the book of Acts soon. The title of this, uh, of this incredible passage is called Nebuchadnezzar's Image of Gold. And the word image, keep that in the back of your mind. Nebuchadnezzar, king, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, and captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then an herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, Flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, psaltery, and the kinds of music... All the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship this gold, the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worship, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews from that whom thou hast said over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. I'm going to stop on the first 13 verses, and we'll read the next ones in a little bit. So we're going to talk a little bit, have some discussion, hopefully this morning. And I'd just like to ask everybody, who remembers this story? Anybody remember this story? I'm sure you do. It's a it's a one of those very awesome stories that if you remember your Sunday school classes, that was one where you'd get the little felt characters and you would see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in front of this fiery furnace, and then always the Sunday school teacher put this little white like image of a man in the background in the fiery furnace to represent the Lord. But this is an incredible 
This, this is a very incredible passage, and I'd like to give a little background history first, just on Daniel, just for a couple of minutes, and then we'll go in and we'll breathe and we'll talk about this. Anyway, with Hebrew custom, Daniel's book, it bridges the entire 70 years of the Babylonian captivity. And this event actually takes place, and it is dated, as opposed to some today that say that this was basically mythological or was just a legend. It actually happened in 605 BC. This is when this actually happened. I find that fascinating. Here we see in this book, Daniel is God's mouthpiece to the Gentile and the Jewish world. And he declared God's present and future plans, which made the book of Daniel basically the Old Testament revelations. You, if you study the book of Revelations, which Pastor Olson gave a wonderful message on Revelations chapter 4, that was the last message for the conference up in Collingswood, it is a blessing, and if you, he that readeth these words we read in the book of Revelations, they will be blessed. And so if you read the book of Daniel, and if you're studying the book of Revelations, you can plug them in together. There's a lot of prophecy in the book of Daniel. And we see that basically Daniel was a messenger, declaring the present and the future plans of God. And basically what Revelations is to the New Testament, prophetically and apocalyptically, Daniel brings to the table in the Old Testament. There are several verses that indicate that Daniel is in fact the writer, if you look through, I have them here. But what's fascinating is Daniel is put into a very interesting situation. He is friends and he is the one that had Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego handpicked and appointed to be leaders over the province of a pagan nation. It's incredible that you have Christians that follow God, that they are being chosen by the Lord to be leaders in that province. And so Daniel actually, if we're going to see in the verses, he appoints them. And we see that basically what's going on here is Daniel at the age of 15 was kidnapped from his noble family in Judah and deported to Babylon, basically to be brainwashed by the Babylonian captivity. But something happened. It didn't work. The Holy Spirit was in Daniel's heart and he wrote these words and the Lord basically was inspiring these words just like he did to John the Beloved in the book of Revelations. And so Daniel here has this incredible knowledge and he here at a very young age is taken. Does anybody remember how old Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were about this point? Right, Matthew. Yeah, right about 18 years old. Kind of like around the age of David was chosen by the Lord to defeat Goliath and to be the one to, to take the stone and basically put Goliath down. And so young men, young men standing up, filling in the gap and doing the work that the Israelite priests had failed. They had failed. They had basically become very pagan. And so now what happens is the first ones that would go when it came to a captivity like the Babylonian captivity, which is like one of the t t ten major captivities or enslavements that ever happened in the history of the world. It was the Babylonian and the Medes and the Persians. They were up there in the top ten. And the first thing that they did when the Babylonian captivities, they went into Israel and to Judah and they took all the artifices. They took all of the, uh, the blue-collar workers, the ones that could do artwork, 
the ones that could do milling and they could do blacksmithing, the ones that had this incredible way of being able to make things and to produce. Just like, remember the Israelites back in Egypt, they were producing brick. And that was very important for the buildings and all. And it wasn't just these little bricks like we have. I mean, they were making these great big massive blocks in order for their buildings. And so Daniel is one of the ones he's pulled out. So he must have been and a very intelligent man that they were focusing on because they got him and they brought him into the Babylonian captivity. And when they took him, 600 miles was this Babylonian captivity from, from Judah. That's how long they had to go, 600 miles. So basically they were drugged from Maryland just about to Orlando, Florida. <laughs> That's about how far it was in essence. And so you see here that basically this appointment had arisen Daniel served as a confidant of kings as well as a prophet in this big world empire and even during the Babylonian and the Medo-Persian empire. So we see that this book begins in 605 BC when Babylon had conquered Jerusalem and exiled Daniel, his three friends and others, and it continues on to the eventual demise and the Babylonian captivity. It never lasted. But we see here that Daniel's era is one of six in Scripture with major focus on miracles. Daniel has miracles. Not all the books in the Bible have miracles, but Daniel does. And we can see this incredible miracle here. What this means to me, and why I picked it for this morning, is on Friday, January the, uh, no, I'm sorry, June the 30th, that was the 10-year anniversary for my ordination as elder, for, uh, as elder of this church. And it just brought to memory a lot of things that had happened that day. It was incredible that day how many people out of nowhere and out of the presbytery had showed up for the ordination. And it was also very stunning. On There were some that, that did not come. And I just remember who the, a lot of people that came and didn't come. One in particular I'll never forget. Does anybody here, I'm sure some of you remember Joy Harris. Remember her? She was in the hospital and she was really not, she was failing. She was not doing well. And she actually wanted a FaceTime on a tablet. She wanted to be part of it, and she was able to do that. And I'll never forget that. But the thing that I remember most about it was the message that was preached that day. And the message that was preached that day was this passage in Daniel chapter 3. And it was a wonderful message on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And basically, really, what the motif of the message was, was what are, how, how, as an elder or... You know, those that are in, in leadership, uh, in leadership, how willing are you far, how far are you willing to go to honor the Lord and look at the endurance of these young men? And I never forgot that. I've never, my whole life, I've known this story and I've never forgot. These are the three most courageous men. I talk about the midwives in, in Exodus and as far as the women, I think they're the most courageous women that ever lived personally. And, but these three young men are very courageous. They're really up there. And so I love the story. And basically all of a sudden, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, who was much like a king like Pharaoh, he wanted to be deified. He wanted to be up there and he wanted to be worshipped. And he made this image of gold in verse 1. And you see in verse 1, we see how the first opening is... Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold. And basically, in Hebrew categories, in the old languages, an image meant something, it was an idol that was fabricated in the shape of a man. And basically, that's what it was. And it probably was one of the gods that they worshipped. 
But anyway, this was definitely the objective, was number one, to make a image of gold or a statue, a grandiose expression of his greatness and all the glory and the reflection and the dreams of which all of they held was put on a head of gold and was supposed to exemplify Nebuchadnezzar. And he had this thought out and he had it planned. This was a massive structure and it was basically a large furnace, a towering inferno basically. But, you know, when you see the word image, once again, it usually means a human form. The height of this figure was about 90 feet high, and it was about 9 feet, and the width was about 9 feet. It would have been comparable to the height of the palm trees that were in that area at the time. Can you imagine a 90-foot high furnace that was about 9 to 10 foot wide? And it was very, it was very I don't know how far deep it was, but it was pretty deep. And for the worship of Nebuchadnezzar in verse 1. And also, the addition to the other gods. Who were some of the people that were invited to this gala premiere event that we read about? Remember the story? Who were some of the kind of people that were invited? Right. Exactly. That's a, it was a real major event with all, you know, today it would have been like an event like you have at, uh, like, like you have at the White House where you have all the generals, you have the, the judges, you have the Congress, the Senate, the House, all of them. A big event with all the big names. And all the big names are there and they're supposed to be honoring the king. None of them are supposed to be taking any of this worship on themselves. And I find this fascinating because this is absolutely no different than all the big events that we have today when we have all of these wranglings in Congress and all. They always have these big, massive events where they all get together and they spend tens of thousands of dollars and it's basically nothing more today, sadly, than glorified idol worship. And that's what we have today. And it's the same kind of people with the same kind of political leadership and political impact enslaving the people. And basically that's what this was for. This was a real, this was a, a, an open, an open um, um, session or an open event that basically drew out the people. And when it says 3,000, there had to have been much more people than that. This is, they're talking about the dignitaries. They were trying to weed out the problems. See that today? Doesn't that look very, very obvious? Greg? That's right. Right. And there's no talk at all of him trying to duck this at all. That's right. He, he was exactly right. He was gone. But you can see the manifestation of his work, and that's a good point by Greg, because it, it manifests itself through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who believe in the same God. And we'll, we'll see what happens here in a minute. So basically, we have the governors, the chiefs, the military, the lawyers, the arbiters, the magistrates, all the big ones. And all of a sudden, not only did they bring in all of the big people, they had the food, they had all of the, the, the meats, they had everything you can imagine there. They had full orchestra. They had lots of music. And there was lots of entertainment there. 
And we see they have the psaltery and all the instruments here. And basically, it was more or less a very pagan ritual. And you've seen the pagan rituals on movies. You've heard about what they do and all. And it's just a big, repetitive music. People are no doubt chanting. They're supposed to be calling out the name of Nebuchadnezzar. And then all of a sudden, the proclamation is made. And basically, that's furnace is a scare tactic. It's not like it's some kind of great big idol like Dagon or something like that where there's all kind of food and there's some great big feast. This is an event, a public event, where the king basically makes it clear you're either going to worship, you're going to bow down to me, or you're going right in the middle of that fire. And you've heard many, uh, we've heard, the, 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 we've heard the, the, old, the old saying, facing the fire. I believe that this is where it came from. <laughs> We're facing the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar had these young men facing the fire. And that's what happens here. We see that the furnace, it was an ancient kiln found to have been shaped like a vertical, almost like a vertical tunnel. It's open at the top with a dome and it's supported by columns. And normally what makes this a hot fire and makes this so frightening is it was stoked by charcoal. That was common in the day. You want to get a hot fire going, it takes a little bit to get charcoal going, but when it goes, boy, does it heat up. And this must have been an incredible furnace to sustain that type of heat. You know, he didn't have all kinds of metals and all kinds of tempering and all like we do today, but they knew how to build this stuff. And when they built this, this thing was hot. And it was hot, and they probably had to stand way back off of it because of the heat that it was throwing out. And all of a sudden, basically, this proclamation's made. Daniel, once again, as, as Greg brought up, Daniel, he's not mentioned as being part of this group who refused to worship, which is witnessed here by the Chaldeans. But I know for sure that if he was present, he certainly would have joined his friends because his time's coming too. Remember, he's facing the lion's den. Remember what Daniel goes through, and you know the song we sing, Dare to be a Daniel, because he was just as brave. So who is the God? Here's the king's challenge in verse 15. And basically, I find this fascinating. Can somebody, can somebody go back and read Daniel chapter 2, verse 47? I find this, this is where the conundrum is. And here's the conflict. I find it fascinating. You see the conflict? Yes. What do you think about that, Lisey? Right. So for him to have done that, I, I, I think of that, I guess that's all I'm going to say about it. But basically, you know, he, he is admitting almost in a backdoor way that, that the Hebrew God is the only one because nobody could interpret the dream except Daniel, who worshiped the God. Exactly. I mean, look what he says. You go all the way to Psalm 136. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. That was a very high 
name given to the Lord is an ineffable name. Many names. Basically, Nebuchadnezzar had declared this God to be Jehovah Elohim, the creator, the judge of all the, world, the earth. And there's another name. There's two names that I find are fascinating also with God. is, is El Olam and El Elyon and El Olma. That is the mighty and the everlasting names of God. He's mighty and he's everlasting. And when he calls him God of gods, that is attached to these names. So how, how does he go from, from actually... Lisa, go ahead. Right. What is, what, what's going on here? I mean, basically, back in this other chapter, if you didn't interpret the dream, you were in big trouble. The king, Lisi. Right. How soon do we forget? And it's those seven years right. For him to finally get it. Right. Excellent. And, and that's what Pastor Coleman has taught many times here about the, how the Lord brings all these things together. You know, we, we, sometimes we get patient. Sometimes we're, we're in our Bibles and we're reading Scripture and we're like really holy Joes and we're really getting into it and doing things. And maybe somebody isn't as far along. Ah, I don't even know if they're saved. People, I've heard that. I don't know. You know, it's the Lord that connects these dots. It's the Lord that takes, it takes our sanctification and it's in His timing. And there are some that are slower than others, some that are quicker than others. And what I love about Nebuchadnezzar is there is a flip-flop back and forth. It's almost like a fickleness, like, like Lisi's talking about. Here, when the dream is interpreted and his eyes are opened up, and all of a sudden he feels wonderful and he's on this real plateau, like he has this ex- ex- excessive knowledge, he loved the fact that Daniel was part of his team. And that's what he was magnifying. Here, Daniel, he sees this young man who has this prodigious knowledge and has the courage to stand up and to say what's on his mind and to not try to pacify the king and try to butter him up. But he says exactly what that dream is. All of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar calls him the God of gods. Now, all of a sudden, now that Nebuchadnezzar feels good and everything's fine, okay, now it's time to go back to who the real God is. And so what he's doing is what many do, and what he's doing is he's shaking his fist in the face of a very angry God. Now, what I think about this, I think about the section of the message at the International Council of Christian Churches on Wednesday night. It was the very last message, and I had the honor of being there at 8 o'clock. It was 7 o'clock, actually. It went on for a couple hours. Pastor Olson spoke on Revelation chapter 4, and it was kind of like the message. One thing you'll, you'll notice about him, he was, he was preaching that same message that he preached here at the church. You'll never hear him preach the same message twice. He did it completely differently. And I thought it was fascinating. He was talking about the seven seals that had been opened where the proclamation is, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Who is the one that has the authority to open up that book and to render those seals? Who has the authority to take those seals? What were the seals, the seven seals? What were they? Does anybody remember? I mean, you're not, not exactly what they were in their metaphorical, not metaphorical, but their physical state, where the metaphor was that, that there was a bad thing coming, but it was a real seal. It wasn't metaphorical in its application at all. Basically, what did it stand for? Matthew. There was the condemnations. 
Jacob. Well, the seven churches come, but those seals that are open are the condemnations that are going to be poured out on this earth. And Pastor Olson asked, you ever ask as a question, as a question as a Christian, how long, how long is this filth going to go on in front of us as Christians that we're seeing every day? How long is it going to be legislated, funded, allowed, and stuck right in the faces, not just our faces, but in little five-year-olds at schools? How long is this going to go on? And he said, you can think about how long, how long, but in the end, who wins? When these seven seals, when they are given, and they are poured out, people are going to be running for the hills. That's scripture. That's prophetic. What's happening here in Daniel is prophetic. And what this is, is a progression of what happens to a disobedient king that the Lord helps and he defies God right into his face. What happens to him? He's literally, this king is willing to literally take as a pagan ritual to cremate a Christian live. And this is what was going on in the Old Testament. Between Moloch, Dagon, and some of these horrible pagan events, they were literally burning people alive. And then it carries right on to the beast, who is Nero, when he's burning Christians to illumine his gardens and his dinner theater over there. He is literally burning them alive. And that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar, what's in his heart, is he is going to take anybody that will not worship him. And basically, I think at this point, he was thinking, hey, I've got this. We're going to have the greatest portion of people. They're afraid of me. And they're going to do whatever I tell them. Sadly, that's always, that normally is what happens. People love to follow. Lisey. Right. Because I remember this one pastor saying he went up there and looked at the peepholes. Right. And I think the the um, lesson that this man was teaching was and I thought pretty good, but non Christians are always looking at us. Right. They're looking at us through a peephole because they want to believe it's true. But they're they're always some sometimes they're afraid to believe it for the hope that might be dashed. Right. Right. And I think, you know, I don't even know at this point if he thought that they were the ones, well, maybe he did, because when he was told that, I don't think he had any remorse, but he did run over there to look to see what had happened. Exactly. Right. Well, we see that's a great point because what happens is you have people that are questioning Christianity and they want to go to church or they want to get back to church. And they get back to church and they're looking for answers. And if someone seems to be really pulling and tugging on their heart, they love to follow that. I've never seen that fail many, many times. But it happens. There's something that really is important about this. Lisa, Lisa I'm sorry. Go ahead. Right. Their standards, they never look at themselves, they never look at the standards that they're holding, which is here, and God's standards, which is there. Right. Right, so that, that's, a, that presents a problem. But because they, the reality is, is that the judgment is, well, it's my reason that everything's cool. That's right. 
right? Right. Right. And that's coming right in the next chapter, actually. Right. By nature. Right. Right. Well, then this brings up the real question here. When you see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, let's go all the way to our message last week with Paul the Apostle standing on the castle steps in front of those that were literally ready to tear him to pieces. And then he was taken to Caesarea. And it all started all over again. Why? Why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Why Paul? What is it that keeps them grounded? You know, it only took, look, it only took three men out of thousands to convict our hearts, to encourage us as Christians. We all know what happens here, and we'll talk about it. And look at Paul. And yes, as Lisa said, we're recalcitrant in our hearts. But what was the driving force behind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's unwavering, unfeigned faith? What was it? And that's what I look at that, because I know how, I know how weak my faith can be. And when we see people following other people, are they, are they testing the waters? Are they going into Scripture and are they weighing out what some of these false prophets are teaching them? And many of them have died in the last several months. Many of them have died. In the last several months, we've seen some false prophets go down in public and they've been in public. Pat Robertson was one of them. Uh, Tim Keller was another one. And we've seen they're false prophets. Did they do some good things? Yes. But for the most part, look at their ministries. It was about money. And this is what happens. And people are hurting. I don't care how many jokes are on television. I don't care how many commercials make fun of everything. I don't care about all the billboards and all. When it comes down to it, you want to break anybody down that you know, they're hurting. Where do they go? And what happens is, what we see here is, and what Lee, going back to what Lisa's saying, are we willing to trust the Lord for His will, or is our will more important than what, than what He wants for us? What he wants for us is obedience. And look at what he's prepared to do. Look what happens when these men are facing the fire. And I find this very fascinating. Let's go forward and read the next several verses. Someone else read them. Would someone else like to read them and help out? Where we left off here at, at Daniel chapter 3 up to verse 13. Can someone read verses 14 to 28?
28. Thank you, Noah. They had their own sacrifice, didn't they? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were willing to offer up their bodies as a sacrifice to Jehovah. And they were willing to do it. And he taught the king a lesson. He wanted them to, he wanted all the people of the, all of the, the politicians, the lawyers, the arbiters and all, worship and bow down to me. And here they taught, these three young men taught this king a lesson that we are not careful about this matter. You can translate that any way you want, but basically what it is, is they had their feet embedded in cement and they weren't going to budge. That's what I love about this. And when you talk about miracles, I put this right up there with Lazarus comes walking out of the tomb, his, his body stinketh, and the Lord says, remember, that was a big, big thing for Jesus to stand up and to defend the right for for Lazarus to obey his call. He comes walking out. These men just walked out of a grave. A fiery grave. They just walked out of it. Dave. Right. 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 There he is. What this is called in the Old Testament is a Christophany. And we see that also. We're going to have to good points. We're going to look at uh, we're going to look at judges here in Jericho in a minute when he appears to to Joshua, Lisa. It's a good point. Right. 
Right. Right. They were not focused on themselves in any way, were they? What they're basically saying is, "Don't threaten me with heaven." <laughs> That's what they're saying, Lisi. Right. Right. You know, it's like I love what's in the book of Job where Job says, oh, if my, he was talking about all of his trials and the tribulations, oh, if all of my experiences were put in a book. Can you imagine what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could even begin to imagine how many people have heard this story and it's blessed their hearts? It's blessed mine. I know over my whole lifetime I've always loved the story. How many millions and millions of people, without even social media going back many years, how many people have heard and read about this and read about, and read about the, the, the truth of this? And there's something very interesting. First, Lisa, and then there's something interesting about the truth of the matter of this. Go ahead. Right. Right. They had status. Daniel had appointed them in, in a head of the provinces, which if you go back and if you actually if you go back into into Daniel chapter one, actually it's the first verse. And if you go, there's other verses in chapter two in one, in one seventeen and two forty nine. He had given them power over the provinces, and Nebuchadnezzar had given them that kind of uh, status which for a Hebrew, that was an incredible gift that was given to them. But you know, when we talk about basically what Dave was talking about also, about basically, you know, the Lord being with them. If you look, can someone look up Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 and 2? And here's what is the promise. This is a messianic prophecy given by our Lord and what he will do. Actually, I'm sorry, read Isaiah Start with Isaiah 41, verse 10. Isaiah 41, 10. And those other verses come later. Who is the right hand of the righteousness of God? There you have it. There's your Christophany. That's what Dave... Dave, can you go and can you read... Um, Joshua 5, verses 13 to 15. This is incredible. A lot of theologians have asked who this really was, if this was an angel. Unequivocally, there's no doubt that this is a Christophany right outside the walls of Jericho. When Joshua is getting ready to fight the battle, basically, he gets this unexpected visitor. This is incredible. In Joshua chapter 5, and then actually it's reified back with Judges chapter 6, verse 11. 
So in, in Joshua 5, 13 to 15, we see here with Shadrach, Meshach, and, and Abednego, 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 there were three that went in. Nebuchadnezzar's like sitting there rubbing his eyes and he's like, lo, I see a fourth. And how did he know that it was the Son of God? How did he know that it was some kind of a supernatural higher power? How did he know that? Well, he had already been exposed to it. He already had Daniel already interpret the dreams and basically he calls him the God of gods. You all set to go, Dave? All right. Joshua 5, 13 to 15. Yep. Thank you, Dave. Why is that not an angel? Yes. This being, this presence, accepted worship from Joshua. Here, Joshua is very powerful. He's basically Moses' uh, young apprentice, his understudy. And there he is going to war. This is a Christophany. And this is what we see here in this fiery furnace. And so all of, the, all of these artifices, the, the, the magistrates, the governors... All of these people are all bowing down just like they do at Congress. They're on their knees and they're basically worshiping the one in charge. Three scrawny little 18-year-olds stand up. Maybe they weren't that big. They, powerful, wonderful men stand up. And we are not careful about this. No how, no way are we going to bow down to that God and blaspheme the name of a living God. We're not going to do it. And you know, they could say that because Nebuchadnezzar had no excuse. He had already been given the gospel. He had already been shown by Daniel the power of God by being interpreting the dreams. Daniel tells him, and what does he come back? Then he says, Nebuchadnezzar says, you, this is the God of gods. Going back to chapter 2, verse 47. He's the God of gods. Then he turns around and he expects everyone to worship him. That was a bad thing to do. That was bad. I wish we could go into chapter 4. We're, not, we're running out of time, but chapter 4 shows basically how the Lord himself would fix Nebuchadnezzar's wagon in a lot of ways. So what happens? These men say we will not bow down, and so out of the absolute fury and the anger which we saw last week with the men and the Jews against Paul, they, their anger is stoked no pun intended, because Nebuchadnezzar tells them to just start firing more charcoal into that furnace and make it seven times hotter to the point where his mightiest men walked up that tube and ready to fall in. He should have known right then and there when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were chained and they were bringing him up and all of his men were burned alive and they were still fine. That should have been a really good lead-in to exactly the power of God himself. But no, it wasn't enough. He said, hey, at this point, 
I don't know how they got thrown in because those men had burned. They probably threw, they may have just gone in. They go in and they come out. And it reminds me of Moses standing at the burning, fiery, the, the, the bush, the burning bush. Where after the bush, the Lord speaks, he says, Take thy sandals, take thy you know, the, the shoes off, for where thou standest is holy ground. After the conversation is over, there was not one smell of smoke. Not even a singe. There wasn't even, there wasn't even one little tiny black spot or any kind of carbon or anything on the leaves. The, the bush was in perfect condition. And this is the power of God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the middle of this furnace, 90 foot high, 10 foot wide. Who knows how deep it was? I don't have the measurements of that. But it was big enough to fit them. And Nebuchadnezzar says, Lo, I see a fourth. Can the Lord get you through your trials? I don't think that we've had trials quite that bad yet, standing in the middle of a furnace. And the, and the fire is so hot that you can't even stand it. They would have been dead already. And all of a sudden, there's the Lord standing with them saying, you men obeyed me, and now I'm going to take this situation over is what the Lord is basically saying. Is this real? you think this really happened? Do you think this is literal? Well, you know, Dr. McIntyre, his mother, her favorite passage, her favorite book in the whole Bible was Daniel. And he had an archaeologist, he gave a message about this in 1995, a message about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in his office, there is a picture, there's a stone that an archaeological a friend of his found, and he found a piece that had set on it. This is the area, most likely, where Dan, all of Daniel's events happened. It's something like that, I'm paraphrasing it. But he had that in his office, it was given to him. That was actual an inscription about Daniel that they had turned over and they had found over there. Isn't that incredible? I mean, this is real. This is true. It's like Pastor Olson, when he preached at the conference, the first thing he said, can we take these prophecies, can we take all these, do we take them literally as Christians? Or do we just turn them into a bunch of legends and myths and metaphorical items that maybe happen? Or did... No, this perfectly happened. And basically, not only do we get the lead-in of what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar, look what happens after Nebuchadnezzar finally has to be straightened out again. And I think that's a good lesson. We were talking about that earlier in the lesson. Don't we have to be straightened out every now and then? It took a while, didn't it? But at the very end, and we'll close here because we're late, look at the verse at the end of chapter 4, wherever Nebuchadnezzar's been through turning into a beast and running wild and everything. Verse 37 in chapter 4, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. That's, that's basically the end game of Nebuchadnezzar's kingship and what the Lord did with him. He comes back and he gives all the glory to God. And I think that should be a wonderful honor for one to praise as Christians to honor this God, this Jehovah, we talked about Jehovah Elohim, the creator, the judge of the earth. Jehovah uh, El, El Olam, El Elyon, the everlasting mighty God. That who, that's who wins, as always. Let's finish with prayer this morning. I ask if, uh, Greg, could you close us this morning? Thank you.